In France, they were cooked in grease. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that one? I tried to eat a clock the other day. It was really time-consuming. <laughs> <Mwah, mwah. laughs> Who was the smallest person in the Bible? Ne <laughs> Nehemiah. <laughs> Need an ark? I know a guy. <laughs> How does Moses start his morning? Anybody? Hebrews, a pot of coffee. <laughs> nice. Can February March? No, but April May. <laughs> Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> yeah. Those are awful. Awfully good. Just like what I grew up with. Happy Father's Day to all of you that are in here that are fathers. We do honor you today. It is special that you are here because you're going to hear words of encouragement if your family encourage you, encourages you today or not. I want to I just ask all the ones that are in here that have fathers still alive to call them today and encourage them. I know that that sounds like not a surprise, but sometimes common sense isn't common practice. And I want to encourage you to do that, just to encourage them. Um, I want to, before I start, I want to uh, recognize Alex and Nettie. Would you stand? Alex and Nettie. Let's give them a hand, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Alex and Nettie are our, our, our church members that have just gotten back from really spending... Uh, since the first year, I believe it's been, into uh, Cambodia as our missionaries. Uh, we have uh, prayed for them and sent support to them. And uh, soon, I hope that we can hear a report of the good news of what God's doing in Cambodia. We, we've been uh, looking forward to the day of your return, let me tell you. And uh, it, it's amazing technology that we live in this time that we can actually FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. Uh, and I... I, I just for a couple minutes, actually was with Alex in Cambodia. And uh, on another note, we also have our missionary, Christy Beers, that we prayed about, prayed with last week, that is in Honduras. And Christy is doing a great job. We'll, we'll get a report on what all that she is doing and has done. But she's been sending me pictures and of people washing feet and uh, just showing the love of God to people. Uh, just one quick story. Uh, she was ministering to a little boy that her, his father is really gone, just abandoned the family. And to, to fix that need, the mother is into witchcraft trying to get the father to come back. In the meantime, has abandoned her children. They didn't have really uh, clean water or uh, uh, food or anything. So the missionary that's there in Honduras that Christy is visiting has invited them, the children, into his family. And just in a short, as you can imagine, text, you know, your heart is squeezed. As we live in a very um, blessed country, sometimes we lose sight of 
the need that is in other countries. And I know that Alex and Nettie can testify to that. And so I, I just want to pray for people also in our church that are going through times in their life of surgery. Terry Vodder this week had surgery and he's recovering. And we need to continue to pray for him as well as uh, Dana McIntosh that will have surgery this week, Tuesday at 11 o'clock. So be praying for Dana. Would you just, before we start, just pray. Father, today we thank you so much. And on Father's Day, we're reminded of how great of a father that we have and a loving father. That God, that we can take our petitions, our prayer requests before you. And Father, we can just lay them on the altar and say, God, we, we don't know. We, we don't have the capacity, but you do. And Father, we know that you can do anything and everything is possible through you. And God, because everything is possible through you and because you have given us your spirit to reside in us. That God, through you, there is nothing too difficult for us to believe. And Father, we pray for their healing and full recovery. Bless Christy in Honduras. And God, I thank you for what you've done in Cambodia through Alex and Nettie. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, my sermon is going to get away from our series, and we'll get back into that in a later time. But the title of my message, and I've been excited about this, is entitled Outnumbered. Now, let me explain the reason why it's called Outnumbered. And some of you that have been in church a while, and some of you that have read the Bible a while, you'll get it as soon as I say one word, one name. Ready? Caleb. Now, now, let me tell you, I, I would like to preach on Joshua, but Joshua gets a lot of, you know, I guess, uh, scripture time in the Bible. He, he's talked about how he will uh, replace Moses and leading the people into the promised land. He'll fight the Amalekites. He'll make statements in front of people. He'll, he'll pray that the sun be, you know, still for a day and it doesn't even set. I mean, Joshua is amazing. But someone that intrigues me is a man that is only in his 40s, but he's an amazing leader throughout the whole country of Israel, and his name is Caleb. The Bible sometimes only gives us just a little picture. You remember when there was Polaroids, and, and you had to be very careful about how many pictures you took of one subject? Nowadays, with the iPhone, you know, if you ever, have you ever handed somebody your phone to take a picture at a restaurant, and they go... And you look at you, I got 40 pictures of the same thing. That's Gwen. <laughs> Why didn't you video me, Gwen? You got 40 pictures. Anyway, she loves me. That's why. But the Bible says, <laughs> Lisa, I don't need any help on the front row. <laughs> she says, good catch or whatever, you know. Okay. In the Bible, when you think about Caleb, you only see just a snapshot. There's just a few verses that will build a profile of Caleb. But I think that the word outnumbered, the word, the, the letters outnumbered that spills a concept of saying, even though he was outnumbered all through his life, he would come to grips and be okay with it. Now, let me talk to you dads in here this morning. Until you get to the place where you realize that you're going to be outnumbered in a culture that is speaking against the things of God and you're okay with it. You will never enter the promises that God has promised you as well as the family that is around you. Even if it is your physical family or not, the people that God has chosen to put around you.
if you think about it, and sometimes we wonder what is a father other than just birthing a child, there's a whole lot more than that. And I believe that God would say that it is influence. You know, I looked it up and and really uh, the, the thought of a father having influence is is the capacity to have an effect on the character and development or behavior of someone. If you ask yourself, who was who are the people that are the most influential in your life? Usually it's the people that you have chosen to bring the closest to you. And and your parents should be those people that have influenced you, if not the greatest, one of the top ten greatest people in your life. And fathers, I'm I'm speaking to you today that you have to realize that God has put you in that place to lead your family, to influence your family, to bring them to a place in their lives that they will realize that even in a time where they feel outnumbered, that when God is on their side, they can never be outnumbered. Giving them the confidence to do the things that God has asked us all to do. Now this morning, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. And every time from now on, you hear the the book, Numbers. I want you to think of the word outnumbered. Because in chapter 13, when, when this story is coming about, it should have been the most exciting time in history For the country of Israel, they had waited and waited and waited and waited, waited and over 400 years waited for a deliverer to bring them to the place of of following a leader into the promised land that God had given them before they even were delivered from Egypt. They find themselves right at the brink. I mean, this, this is, come on now, this is Christmas Eve. Tomorrow we unwrap our gifts Maybe tonight we unwrap. We know that it's an exciting time. By the way, my birthday isn't until Tuesday. I'm still two days younger, you know, okay. Mark got a little excited and carried away. Two days left. June 21st, longest day of the year. Beginning of summer, if you always forget. If you forget, you can remember that. Now, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 26... Exciting time. And it says this. They came back. Let let me just stop there. Don't don't go ahead. Let's just say they came back. Can you say that with me? They came back. Twelve men are going to be set out. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But twelve men are set out. They are leaders. They're influencers. God had told Moses, pick leaders. Not the guy in the back that doesn't have a clue. These guys are leaders. And they're going to be outnumbered. Twelve guys aren't going to go into a country that have twelve people. Millions of people, though, they're going to spy on the land to bring back a report to the people and to Moses. Will they come back? Can you imagine families kissing your husband goodbye, realizing that this could be even considered a suicide mission? They were going into land that was hostile, that ate its own. But a little miracle takes place because God's with them. And a lot of times we oversee it. Oh, yeah, they came back. Sure, they came back. 
But here's these 12 men, and God has delivered them all these days, 40 days, 40 nights. They come back to give the report. Let's continue. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Then they reported, listen to this, they're going to give a report. Then they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, let me just say this. I have no idea why Moses came up with the conclusion that he wanted these guys to give a public report. If, if you ever are in leadership, you realize that people are going to have different opinions. Anybody? 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 I used to be a youth pastor. And I'd have a van or a bus full of young people and we would be going down the street and I decided, you know, tonight we, we have something that has been canceled and we can't do that. So, hey, how many people, let, let, let me make up something. How many, how many of you guys want to go uh, to putt-putt golf or roller skating? You know, whatever, you know, I'm just making up. And 50-50 would usually decide on each one. Okay, 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 okay. How many people want to go to Burger King or McDonald's? 50%. Now, if you chose one, you know the other group was going to be like, he doesn't love me. I don't like burger. Well, that's what Whataburger is. Yeah, but it's not really. It's a Whataburger. <laughs> and they always had a reason why their way was the best. I don't know why Moses would give them the opportunity, but he did. Now listen what happens because of it. In verse 27 it says, They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. Dismiss. Everybody went into the promised land and they celebrated the victory. That's the way it should have been. Now listen, what happens is there's a big word here that we overlook, and it is but. Now I'm not going to try to be funny. I could be funny on that word, and we know what it is. Big but. All right, all right. <laughs> the, the word but introducing a contrasting Opinion of what was just mentioned. That's the definition of but. So they say, it was just like God had said. It's flowing with milk and honey. To prove it, here's a big cluster of grapes. So big, two of them had to carry it out of the land. Probably, my guess is Joshua and Caleb even had the idea. They probably had the idea. Oh, we're taking that back. Because I imagine Caleb and Joshua are going to, argue with the other 10 all the way through. We haven't even got to that place. You'll, you'll understand that in a minute. Verse 28 says, but the people who live there, listen how they describe them, are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. They didn't say large. They had to expound. Very large. Now, now, as we're getting into this, I want you to hear and see the influence that these guys are putting on the people that are around them. They said they're very large, the cities, the people there, they're, they're, they're going to be powerful. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. That they were saying this is the proof that they're powerful. They are from giants. 
The Amalekites live there in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live along the sea. Those are the Philistines that live along the sea. But listen, in the middle of this, and everybody's going, yeah, wow, we can't go. They're saying we can't go. They're saying that they're too powerful. We, we, we thought, we, thought we, 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 we could have, we might have, we should have, but we probably shouldn't go. That the morale you can just feel has to be melting. And then there's a guy that steps out of the 12 spies. And this is who I want to talk about today, Dad. His name is Caleb. And he has to have so much influence because he's only in his 40s. And he steps out and it says this in verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people. All this great assembly. He says, shh. We should go up and take position and land for we can certainly do it. Then comes again that word, but here comes the contrasting view. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Do you wonder how they come to that understanding? Did they have an arm wrestling match or something while they were in there? Did they, did mud rat, what, what did they do? It was all part of the mindset that they're summing up and therefore they're influencing through their words. Has anybody ever heard that a words will change your thinking? Maybe if you've been here a while, you've heard that. We can attack the people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. Now listen, what they're talking about is not a lie. Hear me, Dad. Hear me, fathers. They're not telling a lie. Matter of fact, you could say they're telling a fact. But the reason is that the contrast, the evil comes in when it's a contrast against the Word of God. This is what makes it so easy for us to be deceived. Come on, fathers. Your children comes in and goes, Dad, can't I go to that party? Or are they going to be doing at the party? Well, we're going to be dancing and they're going to be backing up on me and stuff like that. No, you're not going. Let me tell you, Dad, it's not easy to be able to say that. Especially when the little girl or the little guy is going, Please, Dad, I love you. Happy Father's Day. You're going to be good, are you? Okay. No. They're influencing. They're spreading a report that is a bad report about the land that God says flows with milk and honey that is already theirs. It's already a promise. Wait. That's what it was called, promised land. All they had to do is say, amen, so be it. But the action was led or was left at their feet. Are you going to do what I ask you to do? They said, the land we explored, and, and again, realize that what they're saying is, I want to give you a fact report. 
The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. All the people. Is that a little exaggeration? Probably. Have you ever tried to influence people? And a lot of times whoever's in contrast will exaggerate. Maybe a lot or a little. Just to make sure their point is heard. Verse 33, we saw the Nephilim there and the descendants of Enoch came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our eyes and we look the same to them. In other words, we, this is a fact. They're so big, they're so large, we are, it's a fact. It's not just a self-image problem. It was, but it wasn't just that. It was a fact. These guys are huge. I stay there just for a second and say this. It was a fact, guys, because as fathers, when you're going to take your family to another level and you're leading them to a place and you're influencing, it's going to be everything that you can to speak by faith and not by sight. Because the fact is you can't go there. We live in a world that is evil and you want to say, you know what everybody else is saying. And it feels good because we've talked about that, creating habits. You'll usually create a habit in your life, if nothing else, just to fit into the culture that you live in. We're just, we're just not big enough. Now, now, before I go on, because there's so much in the next passage, I just want to stay there. Because I really feel like this resonates in men. The guys, we can, you know, we can put on our cowboy hats and ride to the rescue of the women and the children. We can thump our chests like Tarzan, you know, whatever, and be men, men. But we all deal with the voice behind the voice speaking to us. You can't do that. We all dream about being the hero and, and saving the princess or the queen, you know, out of the time. We all dream about, but there's the voice that says, come on now. And there's something that comes into our life that speaks to us that we're disqualified. I want you to hear this message as encouragement this, this morning that you take it and say, you know what? I don't have to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Because I know that even if I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I can fear no evil. Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. And it is not common sense. But when you understand what God says and you say, I don't have to see it to believe it, then I know that I am never outnumbered as long as I'm doing what God has said in my life. Is there anybody related to me today in here? Come on now. Are we all part of the family? Now listen, all this influence has just been like a, you know, just a stink that has gone over the crowd and they're going, ooh. All the hope is dashed. What they have been living for through the hard times of Egypt has now been thrown out and almost feeling like God has deceived them. Now watch this. This is the first step in depression. And a lot of people don't realize when they're going through it, but they're losing hope and they're thinking God took something away from them that now what they believe that he could do, well, it's just not for me. 
Maybe you're too old and you think, I, I'm just, I'm never going to see it. And what happens is when hope begins to leave, there's no way of having faith. Can I remind you, faith is being sure of the things we hope for. Certainly the things we do not see. Pastor, I don't see it. And really what you're saying is, I don't have faith anymore because I don't have any hope. Here's these people. And here's what happens when you begin to lose hope. Come on now. All of us have cars or vehicles and we look at our dashboard and anybody have that check engine light come on? I mean, to me, that has so many past triggers and memories. Back when Gwen and I were going, come on, paycheck. Come on, mommy needs a new pair of shoes. Do you know what I mean? The dashboard, the check engine light that triggers you, in my mind, brings back the time that I take it in, and we don't have any money, and we take it to a gas station, and the guy puts the black X of death on. That means if a policeman pulls up and sees that, you went, something was wrong to your vehicle, and ticket is on the way. You know, sometimes you can go, is my sticker out? Yeah, it's six months out. Really? And they might give you a break. You all laugh, but you've probably been there before. But when the black X is on there, I could not get that check engine light to come off. I take it to the, the different places, mechanics, and they go fixed, 30, you know, whatever, when the, when the mileage goes over a certain time, then it came back on. Realize that when you're going through what they're going to go through, the check engine light comes on when you see or hear something coming out of your mouth that is grumbling against what you knew was the word of God for your life. This is what's going to happen. Here's these people that are losing hope. They have no more faith. They knew they're not going to just waltz into the promised land and everybody's going to fall over dead. They knew they were going to have to fight. But now it's to a place where they can't even win. It's an unwinnable event in their minds. That night, and again, I could, I, how many people know that at night the lights go off and all of a sudden it's easier to go, oh no, I can't see, I don't know what's up. Sometimes at time when you're laying in bed and you, that, that, that dark shadow comes over you and you just go, oh, I don't know. But I believed for it. That night, it says, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. I can just hear them in their tents. Can't you? Crying. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, listen to, the con- listen, listen to this nonsense. It says, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. If they're going to die, where does it matter where they're going to die? But see, that's, that's, that's it. When you lose hope in God, all of a sudden nonsense comes out of your mouth and you can't even hear it. You begin to walk in agreement with the enemy and, you're, and somebody comes in and goes, you know, th- this is what's amazing and I'll say it in a, in a minute because it's so good. I got it on page three, but I got to say it right now. People don't want to know. God says that he will do it. Listen. God don't, I mean, people don't want to hear that. God will do it. No, they don't want to hear that. People of no faith want to know how is God going to do it. And listen, listen, people of no faith, sometimes they go, unless I know how, I'm not going to take the next step. 
That's what faith is. I'm saying, you know what? I can't see it, taste it, touch it, but I know that God said it. I know that I'm going to die right here in the wilderness. I know that, but now I know that God says I'm not, and I'm going to conquer the giants, so therefore I'm going in. I believe that's where Caleb was. He saw the same thing. Joshua saw the same thing. They saw the same thing. They saw the same people. They saw the fortified cities. They saw the giant. Man, that guy is huge. I bet he shops at the big and tall man store. They, they didn't want to hear Caleb say, we can do it. They didn't want to hear Moses and Aaron say, we can do it. Look, look, it says, they all begin to grumble and say, it would be better for us to die in Egypt or in the wilderness. Listen, they become self-prophets of their own destiny. Then Moses and Aaron fell down, face down in front of the whole assembly, gathered there, Joshua, son of Nahalim, Caleb, son of Jephthah. We can do it! Again, they understand that truth trumps fact. Do you know that the world is flat? Yep. Until the day someone proves that it's not. Do you know that we've never landed on the moon? That's all conspiracy. All Hollywood. Nobody's ever landed. You're looking at me like, are you crazy? Do you understand that people will not believe until somebody's done it? Hello, Father. I'm challenging you today. Step up. And speak it. Now, now it says this. When Caleb and Joshua and all of them said, we can do it. Do you see the next word? It's that word again. But. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. See, have you, have, just come on now. Be with me. Come on. Look, come up here. Look up here. Look up here. Have you ever seen people that just hate Somebody that's on their own team. Now, now here, here's where I'm going. There's pastors and speakers and prophets and evangelists that are on our team, Christianity. And they're trying to encourage you and speak faith into you. And say, I hate him. You hate him? Well, what do you do? For, what? I hate him. Really? What? what? I saw him on TV and he doesn't, he doesn't, dude, you're way over your head. I went to Bible school. That's right. And I'm telling you, he's not speaking heresy. And the more that I speak to those people and I start bringing stuff out and start let, hearing what they're saying about that speaker that they're watching on TV or something. You know what? Well, I, I really haven't ever heard a whole sermon from that person. Well, come on now. You said it. Why, why do you hate them? I mean, they're, they're emotional. Well, why are you? Most of the time that that person has been influenced by somebody else in their life. And 
possibly that speaker that they heard, if they would just listen to them, might be the key to their future. Speaking into their future, but they've denied it because of what somebody else has said about that man or that woman. I don't like her because the way she speaks, she's got kind of a low voice. Come on. Get over it. Walk. Some people need to get up here and speak a sermon just one time. I'm going on. That wasn't even in my notes. Now listen to this. But the whole assembly, that word, but the whole assembly talked about stoning him. Then God's up in heaven going, oh, they're going in. I mean, oh, what? Now I know he's not surprised. I'm a little bit here, exaggeration to make a point. But he says, he, I mean, he's looking and they're not going in to his promise. And it says that they're grumbling and talking about stoning and God has had enough. He shows up. It says, then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. He's showing up at the tent, which is at Moses' tent. This is the tent where Moses would go. And when he came out, his face was glowing. So there was no denying. They could deny we can't go up. But boy, when he shows up at the tent of meeting, all of a sudden there's a shh. You ever remember that? You might have had a teacher that wasn't really corrective in your class and it was kind of crazy. But when the principal came to the door, all angels. This is what's happened. Here's God. He's showing up on the scene. He says, he's saying, I heard you grumble. Listen, it says, so tell them. Man, I just, when I read this this morning again, I heard you grumble in your tents. Can, can I just make a point? If you get to this place, don't think that because you can go home and grumble in your homes at night, you know, that pastor, that church, that uh, my friend, murmur, 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 murmur. I'm speaking to myself because it's so easy to get into what we think a safe place and murmur, complain. Can I, can I go just a little bit? There? You, you know that the most aggressive that you can get is in your enclosed car with dark windows, huh? And you're complaining about everybody else's driving, you know? Because you think there's no consequence. What are you doing over I'm going to come out. You know, whatever you might do. What is he doing? See, they go to their tents and they think nobody's listening and they can grumble against the things of God. God says, I heard you grumble. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say in the wilderness. Your bodies are going to fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, uh, who was counted in the census, and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter into land. I swore with uplifted hand to make you your home, except Caleb and Jephthah. Listen, as you, for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. See, sometimes parents, we think that just because we're unfaithful, that it's not going to affect the mindset of our children. They have their own choice. We know that. But moms and dads realize that your influence 
especially on them while they're growing up in that young, so much influenceable age depends on the way you see things. So they're going to be shepherds because of the parents' unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. But listen to this. This is, this is the reward, 14, verse 24. Again, talking about being outnumbered. It says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now, I want you to see this. If this is the only kind of verse that you get in the Bible mentioning your name, would anybody not say, I'll take that? Here's Caleb, and and he's doing the things of God, and he gets a verse in the Bible that says he wholeheartedly served God, and he had a different spirit. He was outnumbered. Now, again, These 12 spies were not randomly picked by Moses. They were leaders. Therefore, they were influencers. Men, the stages of life will be obvious to some and not others. You'll go into a place that you know as little men, little boys, that it's childhood. And it's not long until you get a little bit older that you go into adolescence and you enter into what is called the stupid stage where you think everybody else is stupid. And it's finally that you know that you have all the answers. That's called adolescence. But the day that you begin to understand truth, you'll go into manhood. And, and being a man is, is something that is amazing, isn't it, guys? All of a sudden that we're over a certain age so that we can do things that we couldn't when we were younger but also that we get to the place that we realize that that comes with responsibility. Just because somebody says you're old enough doesn't mean that you should be. Then you get into a place of mentorship, mentoring. And the last stage of kind of a man's development is called the patriarch, looking over a family. And sometimes in our culture, the lie is that you don't become influential until you get to the place of being a patriarch. But that's not true. You can be an influencer as a boy or an adolescent. Take the story of David, I think, and what was that guy's name? Goliath, you know, and all that, you know. Talk about an influencer. He can't do it. He can't do it. He can't. He did it. Hey, David, come over here. What do you think we should do on this battle? All of a sudden, he became extremely influential. We're talking in this story, in the context, that here you have a man that seems to be a patriot, but he's only somewhat of a 40-year-old, really just maybe a man. Maybe he's even moved into mentorship. Do you realize the habits that you create when you're first coming into the family of God, when you first receive Jesus Christ in your life, will begin to be acted out and tested all through your lifespan. When you become a man, that doesn't mean that you're a Christian. But the day that you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you step into a role of influence. You begin to be the light into the dark world. You become the salt of a world that definitely needs a little flavor in what God has said. The culture saying, fit in. 
and you say, I'm, I'm not fitting into that. Do you remember that the peer pressure that you had when you were in junior high versus when you now are maybe a matri- or patriarch or a, even a mentor in your family? I, I've said this before, but in, in high school and in junior high, it was the style back then. We didn't have backpacks. That wasn't cool. We would carry our books, even though there might be four books, because we didn't want to go back to our locker. So the guys, you know, would carry books. Well, if you had a girlfriend, you carried their books. <laughs> you want a backpack? Are you kidding me? I'm not going to wear one of them sissy backpacks. The first day of college for me, I still laugh at this. I, I took a briefcase with my books in it. That was a hoot. Somebody could have given me 50 bucks to put a briefcase in high school and my football buddies would have loved it. I'm not wearing no, I'm not taking no briefcase. College briefcase. I see one of my high school football buddies coming and I'm like, oh no. And I looked again and he's got a briefcase too. All of a sudden the peer pressure, the style has changed. The peer pressure of high school is dropped. I don't care. I remember going to, to college, and, and I remember that, what, what time is curfew? Why do we have to have a curfew? I'm not an adolescent anymore. And the curfew on Friday night was 2 o'clock, and I remember some Fridays going, one thirty. I'm going to do it. And the prayer pressure of all the boys, all the guys on the hall, I'm going to stay up. And sometimes we stayed up longer and later and had a blast. Do you know, some people might think, John, you're getting old. I don't really care. (laughs) If it's 9.30 and I'm tired, I'm going to bed. Now now listen, all the mature folks in here, amen, make it, tell them. That's the most excited you got through the whole message. <laughs> Pastor, you're outnumbered, but speak it. Come on. You know, you know, and, but there, there's a, there's an, the family dynamic. And we'll have over the other night, Luke and Sabelle and, and, you know, we'll have the family, Mark and Ash. Now, Mark, about 930, when I'm about ready to go, <laughs> I'm going to bed. He's like, I think I'm just going to. I do something. I think I'm going to Walmart. Walmart? <laughs> See, different stage of life. Do you know I'm at the stage of life at this point where I don't even need a gun or a tractor or a truck to be a man? You know what I mean on that? Not like them all. But I don't do it so that I can thump my chest and tell everybody, I'm a man. I don't even have a motorcycle as it's going by. (laughs) And I realize that I'm leading a culture in my family now as a patriarch that for myself, that I have four children, that they have husbands and wives one day that will look at me, but then they're babies will look at me 
and say he believes in the things of God. Can I tell you this? If dead today, you say, well, I'm not perfect. That's all right. That's where God's grace comes in. Ask for forgiveness and let's go. Get up. Listen, until you walk into a room of different people, different kinds of people, different backgrounds, different opinions, and still be solid in your belief system, not on past experience, on your belief system of what God has said, you will not be able to receive all the promises that God has for your life. And listen, it affects your children and your family too. Gentlemen, you that are here, young adults that have not married or had children yet, this is the time to determine in your heart how it's going to look when you have a family. Let me tell you, I know that you might not have a wife yet, and and let me tell you, there's going to be a difference of opinion at times. But the one thing that you can decide right now is that you're looking for a wife that is okay about being outnumbered. And when it comes to being spoken against your family, you say, it's okay. We can be outnumbered. We might not follow the culture of our society, but still we're going to do the things of God. But let me say it again. People don't want to know. God says he'll do it. People that have no faith want to know how God is going to do it. And then comes the stoning. Do, do you understand that so many times there are people who will tell you, unless you tell me how God's going to do it, I don't think we ought to go into the promises. And when you're able to have the belief system, you go, I don't know how he's going to do it. But he said that he will do it. And I will believe he will do it. Hear me. Until you begin to see what others can't see, you can't do what others can't do. Now, when you think about this, and having eyes of faith, the reward so many times has to become bigger than any consequence that happens negative. Until you can see your feet on the banister of the patio looking over your promised land vineyard and becoming part of that vision so much that you say, I can't see it, but I believe it's going to happen to the point that I know that I'm willing to fight for it. You'll never see it. Let me say this. When you read that he silences the people before Moses, talking about Caleb, he silences them. Here he is, probably 40-some years old, 40 years, 45, and he's saying, hey, 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 everybody. And they are quiet for Caleb. How in the world can a man be one in a million? Because we know that roughly there could have been two million, and some people say there's two million 
uh, men that could have fought, you know, the army. And there's Joshua and Caleb. How do you become one in a million? Here it is. You have to be willing to be outnumbered. Not only that, but you have to have the understanding that you have a voice even when you're outnumbered. He's outnumbered in a crowd in a congregation of 12 men, but then he's outnumbered in the whole assembly. Until you see what others can't see, you can't do what others can't do. When you see by faith, and it says this, because my spirit, Caleb, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, he's going to inherit what God had promised. Mm. A different spirit. Now watch this, and and we're going to wrap it up, so stick with me. Because he has a different spirit, and he served God wholeheartedly, he's going to get an inheritance that the other men will not get. I don't know how old the other spies were, but it says that after the bad report, a plague comes on the community, and all of those spies, 10 out of the 12 spies die. Now, now listen to me. I don't know how many of those were young enough to have children still, but all of their line at that point was lost. Here is Caleb. And he, to some extent, has to go into the wilderness for 40 years, a year for every day the spies were in the wilderness or in the promised land spying it out. 40 years. Here's Joshua. And, and don't you wonder, now this is all conjecture. I have no idea what happens in Joshua's camp, but he is in a camp. He's part of a tribe. And, and can, we, can we all come to the agreement that life is life and you've got to do the things like eat and sleep and, you know, whatever. But it's in between those times that, again, builds our belief system. It it gets us stronger or weaker. It's what's coming out of our mouth. It's what we're allowing going in our ear. I'm going to fast real through this, fast forward real through this, partially because I left page four at home. Did I hear an amen on that? Okay, let's just go. If you fast forward for 40 years, they're in the wilderness, and then comes the book of Joshua. Joshua is one of the two of the spies that brought back a good He is now the leader replacing Moses. And we know the story of the first part of Joshua and God's encouraging Joshua and saying, be strong and courageous. Don't let the word of God depart out of your mouth. You're going to be successful wherever you go. But here's what's amazing is when they're going now the second time into the promised land and they conquered almost all. Here's Joshua. And in 14, chapter 14, verse 10, Caleb. Joshua answers the door and Caleb says, hey, remember us when we went? Remember the promises that God said? I can imagine this man has been repeating those promises that God had given him for 40 years. There's people that are dying in the wilderness. 
his age. And he's, think about it. He might have got a cold and the enemy said, you're going to die too. No, I'm not. Well, why aren't you? Because God said I'm not. And he's walking through this and he's thinking, God said 40 years, it's 38. Hey guys, when we get to the promised land, and I, this is just my thing. I think that when he got around the campfire at night, he, he brought his family and said, hey guys, let me, let, let's tell the story. And, and the little kids would be, tell, tell us the one about the grapes. Oh man, they're so big. He said, come on, come on, tell me, tell, me, tell me the story about the giants. Oh, they're big. They're bigger than the grapes. But boy, it's going to be funny when God defeats them for us. And he says to Joshua, Joshua, I gave a good report. And God promised me that I'm going in. So now here's my request. I want Hebron. I want that mountain. Now listen, Hebrew, Hebron is, is only second in Israel, some people believe, to best spot other than Jerusalem. Hebron was owned by this man, if you read it, you know how those names are. You know. And he is the greatest man of the giants. That's who owned Hebron. Let me tell you, you don't, you don't own Hebron if you're not great. It was the trophy of the land. Do you know that even they went in to defeat the, all of Israel, but still Jerusalem wasn't defeated until David. But Hebron was great, and, and that's what Caleb said. He said, I want Hebron. And Joshua goes, it's yours. Here he is, 85. Now listen, a lot of times it's not the age of the that the age that has been put on the body as much as the past experiences that have been put on your mind that has caused you to feel old. I've seen old and age person that's like more encouraging and willing to attack than some young people. That's what I speak over everybody here today. Ooh, I love the amen with that kind of fervor. Don't do that anymore. I'll preach another sermon right here. But it, let, let me let me get let me finish this. Watch this. And and some of you don't know this, but some of you do. Listen, here's Caleb, and I believe that for 40 years he's speaking, he's speaking faith, he's speaking. Words change your thinking. Thinking changes your emotions, emotions, your choices. And here's his children and the people that are around him and his family hearing the promises of God. And he is explaining how wonderful this land is. He gets up to the place where he's 85. He's ready to go into the promised land. He's ready to conquer the enemy. and, And here's the most powerful spot. And he goes, okay, we're going in. But I tell you what, all of his tribe, he goes, the man that is able to take Hebron, ready for the trophy, is Oshkosh, my daughter. Now, I don't know if they were breaking down walls to get to that opportunity, but I think they were, and I'll tell you why. Because a man named Othiniel, in my way of pronouncing his name, Othiniel, decides that he's going to take Hebron for Caleb. 
And he goes in there and they wipe out all those giants. And he does that risking his life for the trophy, Caleb's daughter. Now, what just squeezes my heart is to know the ripple effect of a father on his children. They defeat Hebron and they're enjoying the fat of the land. Man, just it's wonderful. And his daughter, it says, and again, just a little snapshot, Ashkash, she comes up with the idea to tell her new husband, Othiniel, ask dad for a little bit extra. The upper and the lower springs. Now, the upper springs would have been amazing prize, but to get the upper and the lower springs in a country on a mountain that would be able to produce uh, the livelihood. How many people can do without water? No, you can't. They have upper and lower springs. This was like asking, I want that mountain times two. The water of the upper and the lower springs almost doubled the value of the property. Who is this lady that she has the audacity to believe that she could have the upper and the lower? Well, that's Caleb's daughter. I wonder where she got that faith that she could ask for that. So I start thinking that Othiniel is probably going, I've got a pretty good thing. Because the story goes that Oshkosh decides she's just going to ask dad anyway before he can even ask. It says that she gets off a donkey and says, can I have? Yes. So he gets blessed, Athenial. Now, now let, watch this. This is in the book of Joshua. If you fast forward and you go a little bit further in history in the book of Judges, they do not have a king. And any time that there was trouble in the land and the enemy was, ah, God would raise up a deliverer to defeat the enemy because of the judge that would be kind of the, the general of the time. Closest thing to king. If you'll read the first part of Judges, there's an extreme problem in the land and, and they need a deliverer and they cry out to God and a deliverer comes on the scene. His name is Othiniel. Now, why does he have a different spirit? Because I believe that he was influenced by his wife of the good things of God that was influenced by Caleb. Now, now Father, listen to me. I talked already about saying no, and sometimes my children thought I had the, the mastery of the word no. And no, no, I can't give you a bigger no. Maybe that, no. Now, now, we laugh about that, and there is a power to be able to say no to the things of the world. But listen, we forget to say yes to the things of God. Instead of looking at the Bible as a big bag of no's, it's a big bag of seed. If you can find the promise in there, go get it. And all of a sudden, the little, little kid comes back and says, Wow. 
heard a little boy telling his dad, I would like a watch for my birthday. Dad, I'd like a watch. Dad, watch, watch. Can I have a watch? And he says, son, I don't want you to speak about a watch again. I'm so tired about that. That night at the dinner table, he goes, dad, can I pray over the meal? Yeah. He said, okay. Verily, verily, I say unto you, watch. (laughs) Now listen, sometimes our children can even come back and begin to speak into our life encouragement because of the things of God that was spoken by the Father years ago and continually speak. Let's go home. But when we leave this place, I want you to take something with you that you're okay with being outnumbered in this world. That you're okay because things are going to be okay with God. Let's pray. Father, you are an amazing Father. And God, we're never outnumbered. We're never outnumbered with you on our side. Father, I I pray that our eyes would be opened, not how big our enemy is, but how big our God is. And Father, not to get caught up in the negative of the, the giants that are trying to keep us from going to the promise, but help us, God, to be encouraged by your hand is upon us and it is bigger than any enemy. Father, I speak over our fathers today. God, if you can do the impossible, God, there's nothing you can't do. Then, Father, as you're living in us, your spirit in us makes us unstoppable. That we can speak to a mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. God, help us to see with eyes of faith things that people cannot see that you have put there for us to see. The Father, that we are leaders, not only in our country and in our community, but God, in our family. God, we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, Pastor. (laughs) How's it going? Hey, everybody, I just want to first, let's give him some honor here. Let's just give him a play. That was awesome. That was amazing. For us young adults who are soon to be, soon to be fathers, that's a super big word of encouragement. We actually have a Caleb here with us who's encouraging us. Um, Pastor, I get the honor and the privilege to, uh, you know, honor you and your birthday. And so, um, which is, yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's the horns, you hear? (laughs) I'm not going to lie, I saw that at Walgreens and I thought, got to have it, you know? (laughs) Well, we love you, Pastor. We love you so much. We really do. And uh, we just want to thank you. I think we have a, Miss Coy has a cake. Look at that. Uh, Look at that precious cake. She's going to try to, (laughs) if it goes out, look at that. It's going to make it. It's like the, it's like the Olympic torch. (laughs) If we could all just sing, I, I'm not a really good singer, so I'm just going to give this to my mom. She's a better singer. Uh, if we could all sing happy birthday to Pastor, that would be great. We love you, Pastor. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Pastor.
Pastor John. Happy birthday to you. I feel a song coming on. No. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you so much for the birthday wishes and, you know, these 25 years that I've been live that, uh, <laughs> you know, this last, I, I said uh, the other night, uh, I took a few of our family to the movie uh, Top Gun and, and I said, Tom, Tom Cruise looks pretty young in that picture. He looks pretty good. And one of them said, you look pretty good. I thought, well, how old do you think I am? <laughs> so it always feels good to, to feel young. Amen? Amen. Even if you want to go to bed tonight at 930, it's okay. It's okay. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed. Thank you so much.